this Christmas. We started this series by saying God had been silent for 400 years. But of course he never left. He was still speaking to people's hearts. Quietly, you know, with whispers instead of miracles. With songs instead of shouts. It was in the silence that true righteousness and faith was really exposed. But it was, it was exposed humbly, thoughtfully, and intentionally. I mean, the culture still screamed tradition. In those 400 years, the culture screamed that tradition could save them. Remember, in the, in the pre-intertestamental period, if I can use a big word like that, just the, the time before the in-between, the time before the testaments. You with me? That didn't make it any clearer. But there were prophets that were running around, and the Spirit of God was moving. Now, for 400 years, they had leaned on tradition to be their salvation schema, to be the thing that might save them. You see, what they had been doing is they had been living in the exhale. Every once in a while in the history of the planet, the world takes this huge inhale of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And this is what was happening during the time of the prophets. God was moving, he was speaking, and they were speaking to the communities. And as he brings that great inhale, well, for the last 400 years, they've been living in the exhale. And they were about out of breath. The exhale continues until the world must breathe in again. You see, we often live in times like that. We call it, rather than idolatry, rather than the silence of God, we call it secularism or whatever, this great exhale. But you see, there were still those who lived in wonder. There were still those that even though the great exhale was having, happening, still lived in wonder and in awe of what God was quietly doing. They were faithful and they were faith-filled. They didn't rely on miracles, but relied on the very truth of who God was to keep them close to him. They were okay with the quiet because they never lost their wonder. And you see, they realized that everything else was empty. All the traditions of man, even if they had been set up by God, they still had become empty traditions that weren't saving anybody. And they realized that idolatrous behavior or idolatrous culture was empty as well. Again, we see the same things happening today in a secular culture that says we have all the answers. We understand that that becomes empty. And so at the end of this great exhale, God began to move again. When the angel appeared to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, to Mary and to Joseph, everything began to change. The very landscape they lived in changed. The idea of wonder and awe and amazement became real again. God spoke to people's hearts, but he now also spoke in big ways, in huge ways. Those who had been faithful heard it loud and clear. But now, those who were available began to hear it as well. You see, their awe became real. And you know, in the same way, we should never lose our own wonder. We should recapture and never lose it again. We should keep our sense of awe, believing that God will speak again in mighty and in powerful ways. The story of every song and every sentence and every breath is that God is still alive and that God is still moving. After 400 years of silence, they had to get used to a new reality. They had to see something and hear something and feel something new. We've been studying the story of Luke, and today we continue in that same Lucan tradition while not reading the story, understanding that we are on the precipice of the announcement 
that Jesus is born. But the only way you can hear it is if you recognize that when you believe in a God, there's a portion of awe and a portion of wonder, a portion of which we just don't understand how he works. But when we feel him moving again, when we sense the winds shifting and a different direction happening in our lives, we recognize that God is again on the move. And this is the world in which Jesus showed up a place of faithfulness, a place of humility, a place of those who were in tune to the quiet voice of God that was happening. And still, even though in the quietness, they were still expectant and still leaned in to the awe and into the wonder of God. We should never lose our wonder. So in the midst of this, God began to move. And as the story goes, as the child was being born, an angel shows up to a bunch of shepherds who were not necessarily the people you would have thought they would have gone to because he first showed up to the righteous and to the faithful and now he's showing up to the available. Why are shepherds available? They don't have that much to do. I mean, sheep aren't very smart, so you got to wrangle them a little bit, but by and large, they're just there. And so the angel shows up and says, hey, do you know that everything is about to change? The sun is coming. Everything is going to change. The kingdom has shown up in a powerful way. And then to punctuate that statement, there's an explosion of light and sound, and a billion angels sing of the glories of God. The angel choir, the angelic choir, which is also the angelic army. It's interesting that the way God fights his battles is through song. See, they heard from the angels that a son is born. The way to Messiah, what all of history kind of culminates upon, the apex of this history, the turning point and the tipping point, it's here. The only thing that could announce such an amazing event would be a billion angels singing a chorus of peace and goodwill towards men. And the shepherds heard and they believed. But see, that's not just what happened. What happened is the song is sung and the angel says to them, listen, we need you to go see this baby. Now that's, that's interesting. The reason why they, it's interesting is because shepherds had been called unclean by the rabbis of the time. And if you belong to a society where ritual cleanliness is really the most important thing that you can have, in fact, it is very much next to only worshiping God and then making sure that you keep yourself clean, Well, to be invited into the home of a brand newborn baby is a pretty important exclamation to the end of this sentence that the angel gives them. And then he says, listen, you're also, you're going to be accepted. Let me tell you why. Because as a sign of who this baby is, he will be wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, I don't know if you know what swaddling clothes are, but they're not nice. They're just rags that are around, essentially. You see, if you're a person of station, if you're a person of of some bit of means, you're going to wrap your child in a robe. But if you don't have anything, you'll wrap your child in whatever you can find. And so the shepherds understood that this child was born to a humble family, to a family lower on the socioeconomic class. And what that was indelible in that invitation is the understanding that the gospel of Jesus is for everyone because they're included too. Because you know, I mean, you've seen it, right? You've seen somebody with a new child come to church the first time and everybody wants to hold that baby and those early parents are like, no, 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 no. 
Or by the third child, you don't care. You'll give your kid to anybody. But that first child, that child's a little sacred, right? The only people who seem to be able to transcend that are grandparents, right? My mom walks up with babies. I don't know where they come from all the time. She just finds a baby. She's like, let me grab that baby. And they're like, oh, you're an old lady. I guess you can have that baby. We just give our babies away to old ladies. They're running rampant around. But man, when they were invited, they were like, are you kidding? That sign, that means that, that baby's like us. The king of the universe is like us. So what did they do? They ran. They hurried. They went immediately, says Scripture. As they had been invited by the angels to see the Son of God. And when they saw him, they not only believed because they were told by the angels, they now believed because they had experienced God firsthand. First they heard the gospel, then they experienced the gospel. They heard the gospel from the angels saying, listen, you got to go see it. A gospel is born today. The God of the universe is born here. It changed us. And at some point, we all heard the gospel, right? At some point, somebody said to you, listen, there's a God who loves you so much, he was willing to die for for you. Here's the good news of the gospel. And that good news, it did something to you. It made you at least curious so you could go and experience the gospel. And as you experience this amazing grace that Jesus Christ gives to us, it made you believe even more. That experience led us to belief. Even if curiosity was the only reason you came to experience God, that experience led us to belief. And this is like the woman at the well. After she has this interchange with God in John 6, what we see is her running to tell the town. And she tells the town, and they're like, well, that's curious. Let's go see. They go and meet Jesus, and then they say to her, listen, we believe because you told us. We came because you told us. We believe because we met him. First you hear, then you experience. And then you know what happens? You go and tell everyone, because that's what the shepherds did. The shepherds went and told everyone, and by the way, this is the first time in Scripture, especially in the Gospel of Luke, that we hear everyone was amazed by the words that they said. They didn't lose their wonder. You see, but it all begins with a simple phrase. It all begins with a simple explanation. It's, hey, the sun is coming. Here comes the sun. Your life's about to change. The world's about to change. Everything is about to change. We first encounter the gospel by hearing it, just like the shepherds on a hill. We don't hear it from a billion angels. We hear it from one another. We hear it from our parents. We hear it from our teachers. We hear it from those who are willing to share the experience that they've had with the gospel. And all you have to say is Jesus is coming, and everything's about to change. Or you can just say it like this, here comes the sun. So what we're talking about is a presence that lingers, right? Here, 2,000 years later, we're still living in the presence of God that show up that night because that night, God said yes to us. That night, this announcement, this bringing of the kingdom of God through Jesus into the world is a presence that lingers to this day starting that night. We sing the songs the angels gave us that night. Maybe not the same melody lines, not maybe not the same instrumentation, but we sing the same songs of the presence of God. God said yes to us, and he continues to say yes, so that presence is present in our lives, in our churches, in our families, in our songs, and in our hearts. And I'll tell you what, when you say yes to somebody, you know this in marriage, when you say yes to somebody, it's a constant yes for years and years. Today, we don't just celebrate Christmas, but we're actually celebrating along with Bill and Nolene Johnson, their 60th year anniversary. They're right back there. We want to 
And they are some of the most wonderful people who have continually said yes to each other for 60 years. Can you believe that? That's amazing. Thank you guys for coming today. And 60 years is a long time. Listen, this year I will be married 25 years in September, which is pretty good. But not, no, you don't have to clap for that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's really for my wife, not for me. But in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the light of 60 years, come on, it's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. But in the light of 2,000 years, in the light of however many years since creation, 60 years is a drop in the ocean of time to God's yes for us. And not to diminish in any way the achievement of 60 years and what a blessing that is. It's nothing compared to how many times God has said yes to us every single day. God's yes to us has lasted thousands upon thousands of years. And his yes in Jesus is the most powerful revelation of who he is. And that night, it showed up in brilliance and in light with volume and with capacity of a billion angel, angels. But we know that that presence changes. We know that, we know that love changes over the years. It becomes no less beautiful, no less important, no less potent but it morphs into something else. At times, intense, loud, and amazing, like that night. At other times, it is quiet, a whisper. It is light and airy. That night, the angels sang a hallelujah chorus we can't even imagine because that night was not silent. It was huge. It was amazing. It was important. But some nights, the songs that we sing of the presence of God are silent and holy night songs. You see, that presence that lingers is a presence of comfort a presence of protection, and a presence of salvation for us as we live with the presence. Like in any good marriage, it changes and it morphs. It goes from loud to quiet. It becomes a presence that we become comfortable with, a presence that we know will protect us, and a presence that we understand will always save us. The presence of God <clears throat> can be a shout of hallelujah or it can be a whisper of a silent and a holy night. And when I think about the traditions of my family, we would usually find ourselves on Christmas Eve at my grandmother's house. <clears throat> Excuse me, we called her Mimi. And after a big meal that was great, we would go around the organ. And she had one of those organs with different tiers that looks like matrix math when you play it. And she would start playing her heart out, and she would start singing these songs. The only problem was she spoke German originally, and so she would sing all the Christmas songs in German, nothing that we knew. And so we'd try and catch on, and we'd try and do it. But when it came to Silent Night, Holy Night, we could all do that. Stille Genacht, Heide Genacht. That's all I know. <laughs> we could at least sing that part with her. And I think about this presence of God, and we've made, we've made the... The statement that his presence is the ultimate present. And I don't want you to think that you need a billion angels to sing of the presence of God in your life this Christmas. I don't want you to think that it has to be this big and overwhelming and outstanding, outstanding voice and, and volume. It doesn't have to be. Because God's presence, as it was in those 400 years of silence, is just as powerful and just as potent when we pay attention to it. So we don't, we don't always have to sing loud. We don't always have to shout from the mountaintops. Sometimes we sing a simple song like we used to around my mother's organ, my grandmother's organ. 
a simple song of silent night, holy night. For me, that encapsulates the presence that we see in Jesus at Christmas. And whether you've been saying yes for thousands of years, saying yes for 60 years, for 25 years, or for six weeks, We want you to stand and sing Silent Night, Holy Night with us as we end today. Come and stand with us and sing.
at last.